0: The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Welcome to each and every one of you who are here. To those of you that are online, welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot going on, and so we want to encourage you. uh, You should have received the email from the the springs, from Kelly, about all the things that are going on. One thing that's going on tonight is outdoor worship, right? Five o'clock. Am I right about that? I'm sure I'm right about that. So if you're online and don't feel comfortable, which is totally acceptable, not being here, join us for outdoor worship uh, tonight at five o'clock. Next week, we're gonna have a special guest, Patrick Mead is going to, uh, he's going to be here and he's going to do a class, the adult class here in the auditorium, which will also be online. He's also going to uh, preach for us next Sunday. And so we're really excited about Patrick. I've known Patrick for a long time. Actually, uh, the church where he was at, formerly in Michigan, was a supporting church of our team in Uganda, East Africa. And so I'm really excited. He's a fantastic Preacher, and you guys are really going to enjoy Patrick. We are in the book of Revelation, and the title of this sermon series is Citizens of a Different Kingdom. So I want to begin today in chapter 19 and read from verse 11. Revelation says this, Then I saw heaven open. And a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. And he wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. And on his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of the kings and generals and strong warriors of horses and their riders and of all of humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast, and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophets were thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Let's pray. God, as always, we give you thanks for your word. As strange as the book of Revelation is to our ears at times, your word is our life. And we are here because we find life in your word. So today, speak to us with only your life-giving words. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that will follow. Give us lives and bodies that will obey. And God, I pray for the gift of preaching. And we pray all this through your Son, your word to us. Amen. So I want to make just some very general observations. As Greg said, we've heard a lot this week about, election, about the election, about an electoral college map, about paths to victory. And to be quite honest, I feel like it just needs to be said that there are some in here that are pretty disappointed with the outcome of the election. There's some of us that are pretty disappointed. And there's some of us that have fear and anxiety and worry about the future. There are also some of us in this room that feel a sense of relief about the outcome of the election and are maybe excited, but also perhaps have some fear and anxiety about the days ahead. There are also some of us in this room that are so sick and tired of it all that we've given up and we don't care. We don't have the capacity to do it anymore. And maybe we don't have the capacity because there are some of us in this room that are worried about our health. Or more than likely, we're worried about the health of someone that we know or that we love. We're worried about COVID. There's not a day that goes by that I don't hear of someone else who knows someone that's in the hospital or really sick. There are some of us in this room that are worried about our loved ones and worried about cancer, which seems to always find its way into different bodies, to different friends and relatives. We're worried about our health. There are some of us in this room that are worried about someone that is grieving, or in fact, is grieving. At any given time, there are a number of us who are grieving the loss of something or someone or worried about someone who is grieving the loss of something or someone. I don't know if there's ever a time where there's not at least some of us in the room that are either grieving or worried about those, concerned about those who are grieving. There are some of us in this room that are worried about their jobs. They're worried about their economy. They're worried about their future. They just are. If you own a small business, if you've been laid off, You're worried about that. There are some in this room that are worried about their marriage. Or you're worried about someone you know whose marriage is not going that well. There may be some of us that are younger that are worried about grades. You're worried about all the stress at the end of the semester you're worried about what that means for your future, what that means for your scholarship. There are some of us in here that are worried about just their relationships in general. Maybe a friendship has fallen apart. Maybe there's a struggle between you and a coworker. Maybe there is animosity, maybe there is stress, maybe there's division. Maybe you're just lonely. And you're looking for relationships. There are a lot of things going on in this room this morning. And I've tried to acknowledge at least some of them. But the one thing that I know that is going on on some level for all of us during this season of life is that there is anxiety on some level. And if you don't hear anything else this morning, from the beginning to the end of this worship service, from our time of praise to Greg's communion homily to even this sermon, I want you to hear this. This is what I want you to hear. God wins. If you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear the good news of the book of Revelation. And here's the good news. God wins. God's people in the book of Revelation have been suffering. And people around the world have been suffering due to the, on the hands of Rome... We've talked about this through the book of Revelation. In fact, in 1824, it says this, In your streets, Babylon, flowed the blood of the prophets and of God's holy people, the blood of people slaughtered all over the world. And so in light of this reality, upon this announcement of Babylon, that Rome has fallen, which Brett talked about last week, you have this crowd of people in heaven, Then in verse 19, 1 and 2, and then 6 and 7, it says this. After this, I heard the sounding, sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, praise the Lord, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and are just. God reigns. And then it says this. I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder says, Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, He reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to Him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and His bride has prepared herself. God reigns. There's a wedding feast. God wins. This, in chapter 19, is a vision of the end. It's a vision of the end, and it actually comes in several different parts for John, as he has all these different visions in this imagery. But one thing for sure in this imagery that it portrays to us is that in the end, God wins. But you can't have that claim. It doesn't make, that claim doesn't make sense unless there's some kind of epic battle or struggle that has to happen. If you watch any of the Avenger movies, and I haven't seen them all, so I'm kind of going on a limb and guessing I'm pretty right, that they all end in some kind of epic battle. Am I right, Josh? Uh Uh-huh. He said, uh uh-huh. It's not a good movie unless there's this epic battle at the end, this epic battle between good and evil, between justice and injustice. And so what you have in chapter 19 is this, this battle or this struggle it's this climactic end. And it says there's a rider on a white horse with an army, and his name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, which is very ironic because that is a title only given to Caesar of Rome. It doesn't go, it doesn't go past John's readers when he calls Jesus King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They're like, <laughs> that's Caesar's title. And it says in verse 19, 19 through 20, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army, and the beast was captured. And with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and the false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And it gives this imagery of victory over the beast. It gives, uses all this imagery to say God wins. He wins and he's victorious over all the things that tempt our loyalty away from god towards themselves he is a victor and he wins over all that that demand or ask of us our allegiance god wins then later on it says this in chapter 27 through 10 When the thousand years had come to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. He will go out and deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. And he will gather them together for battle, a mighty army, as numberless as sands along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up to the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. There's a lot that's been said about this Armageddon. There's a lot that's been said about the Book of Revelation and Armageddon and what it is and what it will happen. But here's what it says to us today God wins, He wins over Satan and all the powers that are beyond human power. We're not talking about human powers here. We're talking about powers that transcend this earth. And he says, God wins. Then the devil who who had deceived them was thrown to the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophets there. And there will be there they would be tormented, tormented day and night, forever and ever. Then he goes on in cha- chapter twenty, verse eleven, to say this. And I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, and they found no place to hide. I saw the dead both great and small standing before God's throne and the books were open including the book of life and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the book of life and then the sea gave up its dead and the death and the, and the grave gave up their dead and all were judged according to their deeds then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death. God not only wins over the beast, he not only wins over Satan and all the powers in the world, God wins over death. Which Paul says is the very last death. But what's ironic about all of this imagery is that it talks about the defeat of the beast and of Satan and of death. But what's ironic about this is there's no actual battle. I mean, there's a rider on the white horse and the sword and armies gathering, but there's no battle. The armies that come out, they don't do anything. They're just merely spectators. And at the very center of, I think, what is happening here is that Christ is the one that wins. It is God who wins through Jesus Christ. Hence, this is why all of God's people earlier in Revelation could sing this song, salvation, Belongs to our God and to the Lamb. The beast is captured without any description of conflict. Satan is surrounded by an army of spectators, God's people. But fire comes down from heaven. Then God raises the dead and throws death and the grave into Hades. All of this is done by Christ alone. It's almost as if there's no battle that actually happens. But here's what I want you to see in the book of Revelation about how, about God's victory in Jesus is that if you go back to verse 11, then I saw heaven opened and the white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, which is the name that he gives to the seven churches at the beginning. For he judges fairly, and he wages the right kind of war. His eyes are like flames of fire, which means that he can see everything, and his eyes pierce into everything, and that he knows everything, and on his heads were crowns. He's the one with power. This is imagery of power. And and a name was written on him that no one could understand except himself. And this is the idea that if you know someone's name in the ancient world, it gives you some power and authority. So while there's many names given to Jesus, there is one name which you do not know, which means you don't have power and authority. He knows something you don't know. And then verse 13, it says this. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. What he's using here is imagery from the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, there is this imagery of this great battle that happens in Isaiah, and the victor or the king, his robe is drenched in blood. His robe is drenched in the blood of his enemies, But what happens here in the book of Revelation is that John takes something very familiar to those that know scripture, that know the story of Isaiah, and he flips it and he turns it because while in Isaiah it's the blood of the enemies that are on the robe, in Revelation Jesus is covered with his own blood. That's how he goes out to battle. In other words, there's no description of any battle because Jesus shedding his own blood, when he does that, God wins. And you may say, that sounds ridiculous. How can you conquer by dying? Well, let me ask you another question. How can a lion be a lamb? We've already seen that in Revelation, right? How can you wash your Garments And they'd be white as snow, but you've washed them in blood. It doesn't make any sense, right? But in this story, Jesus conquers with his blood. And those that are washed in the blood now have white garments and they follow Jesus. His weapon is his word and the testimony of, that his followers give. It is the gospel. His rule is one of a shepherd protecting his flock. An iron rod is a tool of a shepherd who guides his sheep around. And so what we need to know more than anything else is that John here uses this ancient portrayal of the ultimate victory of God as winning a battle over those who have resisted God and had slaughtered his people, but he fills it with new content the Christ, the triumphant king, is Jesus, the crucified man of Nazareth, who was crucified not as a way to then go and win, but the cross is the way God That is the gospel God wins in Jesus Christ Not through the cross But because of the cross Because of the blood of Jesus This is why Revelation 12 says this Is that they triumphed over him Over the beast Over Satan Over death by the blood of the lamb, and by the word of their testimony. God wins. So today, if you're worried about the future, God wins. Today, if you're worried about your health, or the health of someone else, Know this, God wins. If you're worried about the economy and your job or your friends, how they're going to pay the bills, how we're going to move forward, know this, God wins. If you're worried about relationships, maybe in your life or in the life of someone you know, know in the end that God wins. If you're worried about loss and death, know this, God wins. For God has triumphed over all things by the blood of the Lamb. And so for those who are God's people who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, know this, God wins. And the invitation is this If you're tired of worrying about the future If you're tired about worrying About your health and the economy If you're tired of worrying about relationships If you're tired of worrying about loss And death Then come and be washed In the blood of Jesus For in the blood of Jesus God has won Enter into the waters Of baptism Participate in his death and his resurrection. Because God.